this week, giving a little forecasting of our text, 1 Corinthians 6 today, and it was a little forewarning of some PG-13 material, some mature content that we're going to discuss this morning. Some of you were asleep and all of a sudden you just woke up. Wait, what? <laughs> Wait, what? We're going to talk about that? Yes, we are. The, the ancient text of the Bible is strikingly relevant and speaks. The passage we're going to look at actually in some mainstream churches has been excised from public reading or preaching because of the PC climate that we're in. And we believe that in order to be faithful to Scripture, you've got to address the stuff, even if it's difficult. And the Lord gives us grace. Amen? And so we have to work our way through this letter. And on that note, Mike finished up chapter 4, and we skipped over chapter 5. Why? Not because it's not equally important, but because we have limited time and there's some overlap in the content. So with limited time and overlap, we decided to go ahead and move into chapter six so that we would be finishing this letter before 2022, right? No, I'm joking. It's wonderful. It's pretty interesting how it is hitting us right where we are as a church, isn't it? I've been getting emails, texts, some phone calls from people saying, I'm reading First Corinthians and I am loving it. It's going to work on me and it's a prophetically powerful word for us where we are right now. What I want to do before we plunge into First Corinthians 6, 9 to 20, I want to just remind you of what we indicated at the beginning. We expect 1 Corinthians to speak to us with apostolic and prophetic power. It's the inspired word of God coming through Paul. Secondly, we, we indicated that this book would speak to us about being a people, a community, where Christ is formed in us. And that's one of our main elements of our mission is each of us is called to have the person of Jesus formed in us. I've had a few questions. Why don't you use the word transformation? And they've asked our leadership team, and I've said, well, Paul used the word formation in Galatians 4, 19. And he looked at the church at Galatia, and he said, I am longing, I'm aching to have Christ formed in each of you. And so we're using the language that Paul did. We believe here at Our Lords that the calling for each and every Christian is to be transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit, but also to have the living, resurrected Jesus form his life inside of you and live his life through you. And so Paul is, with that in mind, addressing the people at Corinth, and he's saying in chapters 1 through 2, just a little bit of review here, he's speaking to them about being people of the cross in those opening two chapters. In chapters three and four, he talks about being people of the Spirit, and he begins to introduce what it means to be the family of God filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapters five through seven, we're gonna look at chapter six today, he's talking about being people of holiness, people of purity of heart, and then the rest of the letter, he's going to talk about being people of freedom, worship, and resurrection. We'll get into that, but I want to. The teacher in me just wants to give a brief overview before we look at this chapter six today. In chapter five, if you're not awake, you're getting ready to, Paul 
mentions something that the church is embroiled in. They actually have a case of incest. So Paul is talking to the church there, and we mentioned that Paul planted this church right in the heart of the Los Angeles and New York of Greece. Corinth was there. It was a port city. It was incredibly hedonistic and crazy and wild. A little bit New York, a little bit LA, a little bit Las Vegas, all rolled into one. And so he planted a church right there. So it shouldn't surprise us that this church had some problems. So in chapter five, he is saying, hey, I hear that there's one of you who's actually sleeping with a family member. And so it lets us know the extent of who and what Paul is dealing with here. And he doesn't hold back. He addresses them. He's already said, I'm like a father for you in the gospel, so we've got to address these things. What are these moral, sexual, ethical things? So in chapter 5, he's talking about that. And then the beginning of chapter 6, which we're not going to look at, kind of sets the the scene here, though. They're also suing each other. Verses 1 through 8 of chapter 6, Paul is saying, would you guys relax? I want you to be able to work out, confront one another in love like Jesus taught in Matthew 18. Quit taking each other to court. You're suing each other. You're wasting money. You're wasting time. And it's not a good witness to people outside the church. So with that in mind, let's look at chapter 6, verses 9 through 20. And before we do, I just, on Tuesdays, we take the text, Tuesday mornings, and a group of us come right here, and we pray through the, tra- the text. We read it out loud, and then we seek the heart of God. And we say, Lord, how do you view this? How do you want us to speak about this? How do you want us to embody this as a community? So on Tuesday morning, we sat right here. We stood, actually. We paced around, and we read these verses. And a number of things leapt out of that time together. And I just want to share with you, before we even read this, Verses 9 through 20, it is the gracious word of God. It's the gospel. It's the good news that God saves people like you and me from some of the stuff we're going to look at. It's good news, church. And I think in the wrong hands, this could be viewed as a hammer, the judgment of God. Man, God creates these lists. He sure is mean, isn't he? That is wrong. That is misguided. This is the good news of the kingdom of God. The things that we're going to look at this morning is what God has saved us from, what God can save anyone from. Secondly, I want us to approach this with compassion and courage at the same time. That's not easy to do, is it? We live in a very PC culture where every word is measured. And so I'm going to be measuring my words this morning, but at the same time, I'm not going to shrink back because Scripture says what it does. And we have to be true to that. We can be faithful to Scripture and at the same time be compassionate and tenderhearted and say, Jesus, what is your heart? We want to embody your heart for our people, for our city, for this region. Amen? The third thing before we read this, is this should engender humility in each of us. A text like this should cause us not to look down our nose, but to look in our hearts and say, Lord, what have you set me free from? What can you set me free from? How do you want to use me and my friend circle among my colleagues? How do you want to set them free? And so I'm going to be sharing with you that a number of the things that we're going to read 
I have done. I've been guilty of. And I've shared some of those things, and I'm going to do it again. So no pastor, no leader, no Christian is above any of these things that we're going to look at this morning. No one. And given the right circumstances, the right time, the right influences in your life, it could be you. So when we talk about some of the things that Paul is addressing with homosexuality and all, it could be you. It could be me. It might be you. The grace of God is there for all of us. So I want to be the type of church where we do what Isaiah 66.2 talks about and we tremble before the word of God. This is a text, friends, that made me tremble all week. I've been trembling and I'm still trembling on the inside because I want to be compassionate, have the heart of Jesus, and at the same time be unflinching in what the word of God says. So before we read it, I want to pray. I often don't do this, but I'm going to this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we need your help this morning. We tremble before the word of God. We tremble before you, Lord. We look into our own hearts and we ask for humility and compassion and mercy and truth and wisdom as we read your word. And Jesus, we say that you are the word. So we want to hear from you this morning. You're here with us. And we ask for your mind and your heart to shine forth through these verses. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 20. Are we in this together? We in it together? All right, good. So 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 20. And again, this is a longer section. But think of the early church. This is what they did on a regular basis. They would read the scriptures together. So we want to get used to that, reading and sticking with the flow of the verses as it's happening. So 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 20, I'm reading from the New Revised Standard. Paul says, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, sodomites, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, robbers, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what some of you used to be. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. Paul is actually quoting some of these sayings in the Corinthian church. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that whoever is united to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is said the two shall be one flesh. But if anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him, shun fornication. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the fornicator sins against the body itself. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. 
That's what we're talking about this morning. I've titled it Glorifying God in Our Bodies. That's what we're looking at here. It's a meditation. First and foremost, this text is about God. We'll see there's a Trinitarian structure here. We'll look at it, and it's about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and how we respond to the fullness of God in our bodies. We don't have bodies, we are bodies. So we're going to look at this. And the first thing that Paul says in verses 9 through 11 is that in our bodies, as spiritual and embodied creatures, we are called to inherit God's kingdom. Paul's going to say that your body is for the kingdom of God. Let's look at what he says here. That first phrase, he's signaling. He actually says, do you not know multiple times? So it lets you, it clues you in to some of his main points. I like that about Paul in some places. So do you not know? And he's going to talk about inheriting the kingdom of God. What in the world does that mean? Sometimes there's this theologically loaded phrase there, and inheriting the kingdom is one of those phrases. What does it mean? It's rather beautiful. Paul has talked in earlier places in the letter about the future nature of the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 4.20, he talked about the present nature of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here at work among you, and it's not just a matter of talk, but power. God changes lives. He transforms people. And here Paul is actually looking into the future, the not yet of the kingdom. And he's saying God is preparing you for that. You are called actually, like the Old Testament people of God, to inherit the land. That's what Paul is talking about here. It's a reference to the Old Testament in the book of Joshua. When they inherited the land, they crossed the Jordan, and all that God had promised and all that God had prophesied became theirs. And so Paul is saying the same thing here. He's saying to the church at Corinth, God has made you promises, he's called you, he's raised you up, and you get to inherit the land, Corinthians. Prepare yourself for it. This changes everything for you. Get rid of these things in your life. Paul goes on to say in other places that the kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness. So the presence of God, really the kingdom of God, is the presence of God. When the presence of God breaks through into our lives, it makes things right. So Paul is talking about inheriting this. He says earlier in the chapter, you can go back and look at it, but he's dealing with a church embroiled in these kinds of things, incest, suing each other, hating on each other, and he's saying, church, you are actually called to judge the world one day. The kingdom of God is coming and you are seated with Christ. You will judge the world and the angels. Wake up. Powerful here what he's saying. Then he goes on to list the 10 things that we've all been just dying to look at in great detail, right? It's called a vice list. Not Miami vice, but the vice list. I always think of Miami vice when I hear vice. This is a different kind of vice here. He lists 10 things here, and he's calling out by name some of the things that they're struggling with. Again, I want to let you know this week as I work through these 10 things, you know what I found out, friends? I've done about six of them. I'm sure none of you have at all. I'm sure I'm the only one in here who's done it. I've lusted in my heart. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 28, if you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Second thing, I've been idolatrous at times. 
I've loved things more than God at many places in my life, so that's number two. Thirdly, I've actually stolen things from people. Back in high school, before God got a hold of me, I would go into the locker room and steal stuff from people. I've been a thief. I've robbed from people. God's forgiven me, but I'm just clicking through here. I've been greedy. Still deal with that a little bit. Want more stuff. Envy other people's lives, their situations. That's number four. Number five, I've medicated myself with alcohol. I've been drunk at times. Some of you are saying, where's the door? I got to get out of here. Hopefully that's not the response. I'm modeling for you that all of us, all of us, all Christians wrestle with these things. And sixthly, I've reviled or I've slandered other people before. The grace of God. I'm not sharing these things to parade it before you. God has forgiven me. He loves me. I receive his forgiveness. I'm a new person every day just like you. But it's sobering to read texts like this, to look into your own heart and say, God, who am I to judge someone else? It's one thing to discern, but it's another to sit in the place of judgment. Let's look at some of these things in this list here. Ten of, out of the ten, four of them deal with sexuality. Paul talks about fornication, adultery, male prostitutes, sodomites. The other six deal with other mindsets and behaviors, disordered desires, misused passions, these kinds of things. So we're going to look at a few of them. We could spend the whole time parsing these things out. We don't need to, but I want to mention a few, some of the ones that are particularly not very PC right now. The first one, the word fornicator, actually comes from a Greek word, pornoi. Sound familiar? It's where pornography comes from. And it basically speaks about sexually immoral behavior. It's unmarried people engaging in sexual activity. And so Paul is looking at the church at Corinth and saying, God's called you to higher things. God's called you to higher things. Such were some of you. Another thing that deals with this kind of sexual ethic is male prostitutes. It's the first word that's used there. Translators have struggled with how to come up with a modern interpretation. It actually comes from a Greek word, malakoi, that means soft or effeminate. And it's Paul looking into the Corinthian culture and calling out an issue that they dealt with quite often. And he's pointing out that the recipient in homosexual sexual activity is like this. And he's actually talking about a temple ritual that would happen. I mentioned this previously, that right in the heart of Corinth were multiple temples. And part of their religious activity was actually to go and drop some money in the coffer there to offer up some incense and oftentimes to have sexual intercourse with one of the temple prostitutes, which might be male or female. And Paul is calling that out. He's saying, Come on, church. You are actually the temple. You are drawn out of this. This was common in Corinth. We look around now and we see this kind of activity. We see both, and we'll get to this in a moment, but we see the, the indulgence of homosexual activity. And Paul is saying here, even though it's common in your culture, God has another way. And in his day, listen, it just gives you a little bit of insight. 
Plato, the philosopher, had laid out many of the political and constitutional things for Greco-Roman culture, and he argued regularly in one of his treatises, the symposium, for homosexuality. Many people think it's hard to deduce, but he may himself have been bisexual or homosexual. Nero, the emperor at the time, when Paul wrote this letter to Corinth, was about to marry a young boy named Sporus. He's going to marry him, and 14 of the first 15 Roman emperors were homosexual or bisexual. So what Paul is addressing here is a timely word for him. He knows what he's talking about. And he's calling the church into a way of kingdom living. Another word that he points out here, sodomites, it's a difficult word to translate from the Greek into English or any language. It combines two words, male and intercourse. And it really speaks to the giving partner in sexual interaction. So the first one's the receiver, this one's the, the giver. And I searched all week. I tried to find some of the best scholarships so I could share it with you and refer you to it if this interests you. And there's a guy at Duke University, at Duke Divinity School named Richard Hayes. And he is an excellent premier New Testament scholar. Frankly, I don't know how he's remained at Duke, just to be honest. I don't know how they have allowed him to write what he has, but he's written this beautiful book called Moral Vision of the New Testament. And he says this about this word, sodomites. He said is only found in 1 Corinthians. And Richard Hayes says that scholarship has demonstrated that this word is actually a translation of a Hebrew word that means lying with a male, for one male to lie with another. And it's derived directly from Leviticus 18.22 and 2013. And Hayes goes on to talk about it being used in rabbinical or Jewish texts to speak to homosexual intercourse. So that's Richard Hayes at Duke University, a premier New Testament scholar who's saying that about this text, regardless of how PC or not it might be. Another guy that I've mentioned before, Gordon Fee, who's written the single best and most accepted 1 Corinthians commentary, he says this, it is quite impolitic or ill-advised to suggest these kinds of things in our contemporary culture. Yet, for Paul's attitude toward homosexual practice in general, one need only to refer to his Jewish background that disapproves of this behavior plus his description of such activity in a later letter in Romans 1, 26 through 27, which speaks of both male and female homosexual activity. So that's Gordon Fee, it's Richard Hayes, pointing out with tenderness and compassion what the Word of God says. If you're interested, I recommend getting the book by Richard Hayes, Moral Vision of the New Testament, and I think it's got the single best chapter, the single best essay, on homosexuality out there. It's fantastic. N.T. Wright, another scholar from the Church of England, right, Mike? Hats off to the Anglican Church. Listen to what N.T. Wright says. Paul is not suggesting that sexual... Now, listen to me here on this, okay? Paul is not suggesting that sexual error is worse than any other kind. Though the central place of sexuality within the human makeup indicates that we shouldn't take it lightly. 
But the point Paul is making with this, as with other distorted ways of behaving, is that they take away from that full humanness which God longs to see come to flower in all of his creatures and which will be completed in the final kingdom of God one day. So I think looking at these verses thus far, I'm reminded all of us are sinners in need of salvation by God. All of us need to be rescued and transformed. I want to speak to all of us. Maybe there are some of us here who are dealing with same-sex attraction. The Lord loves you. Amen? Just like the Lord loves the other ten types of people who are wrestling with these things. I already shared. I've done six of them. The Lord loves me. The Lord loves you. The Lord, that is the message of the day. From this text, what does this text say? God loves you. God's calling you into his kingdom. He can transform you. That is the message. That is the gospel that's coming through these verses. Is it not? We can get weighed down with some of these things. This week, I was just thinking of that word from Jesus in Matthew 5, 28, when he talks about if you lust in your heart for someone, it's like committing adultery. Now, my friends, whether you're gay or straight, you have same-sex attraction or you're heterosexual, that is a difficult word. Is it not? Matthew 5.28 is difficult for all of us as sexual beings. It's a lifelong project. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I would like to know uh, who's mastered Matthew 5.28. If you raise your hand, I'm coming to you and saying, lay hands on me, teach me how to do that. This is a lifelong project to let the love of God, the grace of God wash over your life and your heart to root out lust and transform it into holy passion for God. That's a regular arrow prayer that I've got. Lord, would you transform the lust in my heart into holy passion for God? That will pray. And as lust rises up in our hearts, whether it's homosexual or heterosexual lust, Lord, transform me. I want to direct these passions and longings in the right place toward you. Make me new. The Lord loves that kind of prayer. I heard someone say with reference to this verse, these verses here this week, God loves you as you are. But God loves you too much to leave you that way. God loves us as we are. No question. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. He's in the life-changing business, whatever we're dealing with. He goes on to say, and this is where the gospel begins to kick into gear. We're not going to look at all ten of those words. You can go back and look at those later. I wanted to look at a few that need to be parsed in our context. Paul says, this is what some of you used to be. He says that to the church. So therefore, they became the such were some of you community. Corinth was the such were some of you community. What would it be like if we became the such were some of you community? We are that community. 
Many of our stories reveal this, but I want to say prophetically, okay? What if this became the such where some of you community and the Lord said, you can go to our Lord's because they love everyone. Everyone is welcome there. Whether you're gay, lesbian, you're dealing with same-sex attraction, you can go there. They love you. They will embrace you in their community. And they, as a church, are committed to following Jesus on the hard road of discipleship, taking up their cross, dying daily, if you're interested. What if the Lord did that? What if the Lord plundered some of these communities and said, I want to bring them to our Lord's. I want to transform them and make them new, give them new identity. What would, what would that be like, church? It would be beautiful. So we, this delicate balance of loving and welcoming everyone. I don't think the Lord wants to hang a sign outside any church that says, you're not welcome here. Amen? Do you agree? I mean, I want a, a billboard out front, a neon sign that says, all are welcome here. We will love you and we'll get on that road of discipleship together and we'll let the crucifying work of the cross go to work on us together. Our identity is in him. Amen? So Paul goes on to say to the such were some of you community, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the spirit of our God. So again, we get to see the work of the Holy Trinity here. The saving work of the Holy Trinity. The triune God washing, cleansing, the love of God like a waterfall cascading there in Corinth and people getting under it. And Paul says, that's what I'm talking about. Get in the waterfall. Let the love of the Father pour over you, wash you, change you. Get out of the old clothing you've got on. Let him give you new clothing. Your clothing is full of holes and ratted up. Let let him give you, let him clothe you with Christ. Let him sanctify you, set you apart for himself to be a saint. It's astounding what he's talking about here. Such were some of you. Many of you are coming out of this, but the Lord has washed you, he sanctified you, he set you apart, clothed you in Christ, actually sharing his priesthood with you. Church, this is good news. This is for all of us. We've got the greatest news on the planet right now. Let the Lord wash you, sanctify you, justify you. Come before the holy God in his divine counsel and have him say, you're righteous. You believe in my son. You've given your life to him. You're taking up the cross. You, you are righteous. This is good news. Who here needs to be washed today? Anybody need to go through God's car wash today? I do. I want to do it every day. Lord, take me through the Holy Spirit car wash. I've accumulated dirt. I've got things on me and in me. Would you wash it away? You wash it away in baptism, but I want to be immersed every day. Anyone else? Wash us, Lord. I want to share a story here. A friend of mine in Chicago who had difficulty with this passage. Dear friend of mine who had dealt with same-sex attraction for decades, decades. He had gone to counseling, therapy, been wise about this. He even tried dating at different times. And I just can't, 
imagine the loneliness and the things that he dealt with, but in the end, he decided in our community and before God to live a celibate life. And he is to this day. He's a, an amazing Christian man, a servant of many people, outstanding in his Chicago business, but he lives a celibate life. The cross has touched this area of his life and he embraces it. That's a tough word. And the church where I was formed in Evanston, lots of people, I'm talking dozens of folks like this friend of mine who lived a celibate life. And what we would talk about is, hey, you're in pretty good company. I know someone else who was a celibate. His name was Jesus. Jesus was single, friends. He lived a celibate. He gave his sexuality to the Father, consecrated himself, said, Father, I give myself to you, body, soul, and spirit for life. So I think we as a community are going to learn about the celibacy and singleness of Jesus. If this interests you, there's a book called Washed and Waiting by a guy named Wesley Hill. Washed and Waiting. And you can read his story that's much like my friend. He's decided to give his sexuality to the Lord. He's actually a Christian theologian at a seminary. So Paul here is urging them to use their bodies rightly. We doing okay? Skipping over some things here. The second thing in this passage, I wanted to spend most of it in part one, but the second part in 12 through 18, Paul talks about being united to Christ. And he's saying to the church at Corinth and to us, your body is for the Lord Jesus. Your body is for Jesus. And when he was the incarnate word, he lifted up your body into a new mode of existence. This is powerful, powerful stuff. The church wanted to argue some of the wording here that just like food is meant for our bellies, they're saying sex for the body is like food. We can eat whenever we want, however we want. He's correcting them here. He's actually linking our bodies, the people at Corinth, their body to the body of Jesus. And he's saying your body is not made for pornea, for sex outside of marriage. You're not made to sell off your sexual purity, but your body is meant for the Lord Jesus. It's a deep mystery here. He talks about it in Ephesians 5 and other places. And what he's saying here to the church, I want you to listen to me here. This is a secret power. If you walk in this reality that you as a follower of Jesus, are united with him in your body and your spirit, you can walk in great power and victory. These 10 things here, the way out is through union with the Lord Jesus in faith, in prayer, in his church, in community. That is the way. Paul was sharing that with the people at Corinth. Very quickly here, I wanna share another story, is that okay? My friend in seminary in Chicago called me one day. He was a dear friend of mine. I knew that he had been battling pornography and sexual fantasy and masturbation. And he was battling this year after year while we were in seminary. He called me one evening and he said, Brock, I just went to a prostitute downtown Chicago and had sex with her. 
And I said, really? And it was in the peak of the AIDS epidemic. And so we talked about how terrified he was, what he had just done. And so we talked and we prayed, talked about what he had opened himself up to. He had never done anything like this, but his sin was leading him into literally going downtown and sleeping with a prostitute who he knew nothing about. He was terrified. It was a sobering moment for him. It actually became a turning point in this man's life. He had been in therapy and counseling, but something awoke in him, and he said, I am in a place I do not want to be. What's amazing, the grace of God, he was washed, he was sanctified, he was justified, and to this day, he's a wounded healer. He's actually a professional therapist and counselor, leading people out of the very thing that he struggled in. Thirdly here, very quickly, Paul is saying to the church at Corinth and to us, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is for the Holy Spirit. He says, do you not know that your body, body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And he's using a singular word, you. So he's saying to each person at Corinth, your body individually is a place where the Holy Spirit resides. He lives inside of you. He'll transform you from the inside out and you are not your own. The Lord has purchased you with his own blood. You belong to him now. Be done with these other things. Learn to run with him. And he ends this section here with the words, glorify God in your body. This is what I would call the ethic of the kingdom of God. It covers it all. This week, I've been praying, Lord, does this glorify you in my body? Try praying that this week. It sure will help you filter through and discern certain things. Lord, does this glorify you in my body? Does this bring glory to you? So as we wrap up here, I want to couch all of this in community. No one is called to go at it alone. It doesn't work. It's why we have groups. It's why we meet. It's why we share meals. We spend time together. Acts 2.42 the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayer. And so I want to situate this in that context. Church, we are called to be the church, to be a community where the power of the Holy Spirit operates in and through all of us. And we do it in fellowship with one another and friendship. Amen. Mike.